Hello, and welcome to Black and White Noise, the ever-reliable procedure of big things happening. Yes, the boys from the noise have done it again, and recorded a podcast episode just before the par thumping opponent with two goals in the first three minutes, complete early on our takeover by DFC Fußball, and signed two new players. If nothing seems to be happening in Parsland, you can rely on us to get our timing exactly wrong. And with that in mind, on with the show. Hello listener, and welcome to the latest edition of Dunfermline Athletic's official podcast, Black and White Noise. As ever, I'm joined by legendary supporter and technical guru, Michael Thomas. Hello, Michael. Hello there, how are you doing? I'm grand, thanks for asking. And uh, normally we're joined by Fife's premier sports writer and commentator, Jordan Burt, but unfortunately Bertie's had to call off sick today. So uh, best wishes to Bertie and hope, hope you're back for next time. It has been a while since we've done one of these. Uh, so it could all be a bit haphazard. That's not because we've not done one for a while, it's just because it's normally a bit haphazard. <laughs> and we have a fantastic guest joining us today, uh, one of our newest arrivals, uh, the greatest Sunderland youth product since Tom Beedling. Uh, he's with us via Bradford, Norway, <laughs> sort of Blythe, uh, and Dumfries. So I'm delighted to welcome Dan Pybus. Hi, Dan. Yeah, hello. Thank you for having us. No, thanks so much for joining us. I was saying before we started, it's about 30 degrees outside, so we're really, really thankful that you've taken the time to speak to us rather than getting out in the outdoors. So. No, I need to move from the sun. I, I go red. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, fair enough. Uh, you're in the right country then, mate. Uh, so... We've had lots going on since the last podcast, the end of the season, which lasted uh, or ultimately ended in disappointment, I should say. Pre-season, we've had a couple of league cap games with contrasting fortunes. We've got two more to look forward to. Uh, we've got the new season upon us and a fantastic Euros, which has just ended. However, we can only start in one place. Dan, can you clarify? Is Fraser Currid a Dunfermline player? Is who, sorry? <laughs> Are you too aware of this story? No. 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 <laughs> Bonus Athletic on their Twitter feed announced the signing on loan of Fraser Currid, a goalkeeper who was on loan at them last season and thanked Dunfermline Athletic for being really good to deal with and allowing him to be on loan. And Dunfermline Athletic have never announced him as a player. He wasn't on our books last year. He was on the books, I think, at Aloha. Uh, so, so we all found out we'd signed this guy from, from Bonus Athletic's Twitter feed. I think he has actually been confirmed today. I've no idea. So. <laughs> so he's not training with us. Not that I know of. <laughs> if there's a goalkeeper called Fraser, that's him. If there's no goalkeeper called Fraser, he's obviously doing something else during the week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, obviously, we've just finished the, the strangest season we've ever experienced. Uh, Dan, how did you find it? Uh, yeah, it was obviously very difficult. I've only been up in Scotland for two years now. Um, obviously, the first season we had fans, and then last season we didn't. Um but yeah, I remember coming and playing against Dunfermline and it has what three, four, five thousand fans there, and it's obviously great atmosphere. Then last season we we played them away um once and there wasn't anyone there, so it's a bit different. I mean, it probably helped us a bit more than having the fans in, but um overall it's obviously disappointing that fans couldn't be in uh stadiums in general. And I think every player is really happy to have them back and can't wait till their full capacity can come back in. Aye, absolutely. Uh I just it's probably something you got used to over time, but I'm sure at the start of the season, you know, when you're, when you're playing pre-season games, you're used to not many people being there, and then you actually kick off on the first day of the season, and there's nobody there, and you've got to get in your head that this is the real thing. Uh, you, you know, it's a league game or a league cup game or whatever, and, you know, it's, it's, it's no friendly. It must be quite difficult to flick the switch. No, I mean, 
last season you'd turn up to some of the games and some of the lads would say it doesn't really feel like we've got a game today because there's no atmosphere. I mean, normally you're doing your warm-ups on the pitch and the fans are coming in, you're starting to get that feeling for the game. Um, but yeah, as the season went on, you sort of get used to it. So it'll probably be a bit of a shock and a surprise when fans do come back in, but it's obviously something to look forward to. The thing is, it'll be gradual, won't it? It'll be, you know, how many is on Saturday, Michael? Uh, I think the capacity is 1,000. Right, OK. So yeah, we'll see. That's for the Dumbarton game, which is and- two days away as we record this. Aye, yeah. and then, then we're looking at probably more the week after. Possibly, I think so. Yeah, I think I saw 2000 mentioned, so hopefully, we'll, we'll get up to that quite soon. So, there you go. It'll be kind of they'll, they'll step up to you know whatever we normally get. Home game comes around, it'll hopefully be a lot more, won't it? Because the first ah. game, so yeah, I think it's the seventh as our first game, isn't it? So, yeah, hopefully, that'll be the case. And everyone will be dying to uh dying to get in as well so as long as things don't go badly to start with no, probably as a go in the first five minutes then you maybe not be so glad the fans are in but uh, <laughs> 4,000 moaning fifers all this pent up emotion for 18 months not being able to get in and moan and if we lose a quick early goal it'll all come out but uh, <laughs> hopefully that won't happen no I'm sure it won't <laughs> uh, so we were just asking beforehand, but we're still training up at Alawa. How do you find it travelling in and out every day? Is it okay? Are the training facilities good up there? Or uh you anxious just to, to stay in Dunfermline? Uh, no, I mean, the facilities are absolutely fine. Um, it's obviously not a bad drive at all. It's a nice 20, 25-minute drive to Alawa. Um, and the pitch isn't horrendous. It's all right. It's an AstroTurf pitch. Um, I mean, you can't complain with it. Obviously, on days like today, it's a bit difficult when it's nice and dry. Um, but yeah, the facilities are fine, and obviously you've got the stadium with your where you get food and your gym and everything, which is uh, which is great. So no, the setup's really good, and um, yeah, got nothing nothing bad to say about it. You'd be used to the Astro from Dumfries as well. I don't know if you trained on that, but yeah, it's Astro down there. So yeah, yeah, that's that's one of the worst Astros I think in Scotland. <laughs> um, I mean, like Wembley, this Astro, but <laughs> but. Uh, we'll get on to Wembley later on in the podcast. <laughs> uh, obviously, I guess everyone's kind of fairly new to Dan. I don't know. Uh, have, you, have you played with any of the squad before? I'm trying to think. I know there was. I know uh, you've played with guys who have been at Dunfermline, but have yeah. you played with anyone in the squad before? Ian Wilson. He was at Queens for a couple of months on loan. Um, but no, that's it. That's it. Yeah. And is, is he in training at the moment? Not at the moment, no. I, I obviously live with Ian. Uh, is he far away? Do you know? I, I don't mean I don't mean from where you are in the flat. I just mean far away from going back to dinner. <laughs> he's not in the room, and uh, he's uh, he's not far away at all. No. Good stuff. Glad to hear it. Mm. Uh, now I heard, heard your actual your your flatmate and Humphreys was an ex Paris player as well. Yeah, I lived with uh, the first year I was there. I lived with Fasel Elbaktui, who was a he was a great lad, really good player as well. But yeah, he was a great lad. He was telling the stories when he first came to um, Dunfermline that he couldn't speak a word of English. He turned up, couldn't speak any English, uh, and just learned on the job, I think. Aye. <laughs> he was, he was, uh, he'd, he'd never really played 11 aside football, from what I understand, when he, he, he turned up either. He was more of a futsal player. Yeah, uh, I think. Um, and then he just learned on the job as well, football, uh, I think. It, it, was, it was one of his, Michael, my boy, I agree. It took him. But the stats kind of speak for themselves. But it took a couple of seasons to find his feet where he was mm. actually going to play. Because uh, they, they kind of shipped him about a wee bit uh, on the wing and things like that. But it was kind of obvious that his instincts eventually were, were up front where he didn't have sort of 
too much in the way of sort of tracking back and, and things like that. And then he scored about 30 goals in the season, including overhead kicks and about, I think he got, he got a scissors kick up uh, for the last, he got a scissors kick for his hat-trick when we gained against Brecon and then uh, an overhead kick up at air, which was like a, a basically title decider. So He was telling season that he just couldn't miss just anything. It would hit him anywhere and everything just flew in the net. He just said he couldn't believe it. Yeah. But I mean, he was still, he, he was doing things like, you know, he was taking the ball from deep and dribbling past players and things like that. You know, he was, he was, he, he was looking like, like a complete forward player at one point. And then obviously got a big money move to Dundee and then he came back on loan. It didn't work out quite as well. But, you know, I, I think he's in, he might even be in Italy now, I think. Yeah, he is in Italy. He went to Morocco and uh, whatever happened there happened and now he's in Italy. Still keep in touch with him. Um, but yeah, he's had nothing but good things to say about the club as well. Uh, and uh, Craig uh, Brown, who sets this thing up for us, was saying that there's a, a few players you've spoken to uh, who were at Queen's. Uh, you've got Gregor Buchanan there, Willie Gibson, obviously. Uh, Rhys McCabe. Uh, Rhys McCabe, yeah. So they, they all gave you kind of positive feedback about the place, which is nice to hear. Uh, Michael Payton, he was there the first year at Queen's. Um, he's a great man. He's a good lad. Uh, so is Rhys. Uh, they've all had nothing but really good things to, to say about it and actually I was speaking to Pates today he was asking how I was getting on uh, and how I'm finding it um, so uh, he set up about half of Faisal's goals the first uh, or that season that we got a sweet right foot just over to, to Faz who would knock them in aye, both very good players aren't they absolutely uh, so uh, yeah I was going to say so we've obviously got your, yourself we've got uh, Big Toddy up front as I believe he wants to be known Uh <laughs> We've got Dennis Mehmet and Ross Graham and, and obviously Craig Whiten has joined uh, permanently for us. So that's that's the new signing so far. Uh, it's, it's obviously been slow progress elsewhere, but we're kind of stuck in a quandary that you don't want to overload. We've got about four or five players coming back and I guess we're looking for... Well, last, last season we had a couple of guys on from Rangers and Celtic, so I probably, probably the manager, or certainly Celtic, the new manager, will want to see them before they maybe loan out some of the players. So... Well, I guess it's a balancing act getting people in but getting the right people in Dan yeah 100% I mean obviously I'm not managing myself but I'm guessing yeah, you'll want the right people in like you say uh, you don't want too many bodies but you want enough bodies where there's competition in the squad because obviously there's nothing better than 20-22 boys every day training uh, really training hard because obviously only 11 can start on the weekend and obviously the that's the best for the manager, isn't it? If he's got uh, 20 players all, all training really well. But yeah, like you see, he obviously wants to bring in the, the right players and uh, I'm sure sure he'll do that over the next couple of weeks. It was, it was a bit of a bit of a shock. Michael and I, remember we were at uh, Civil Service Strollers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, which we had no idea they played in Edinburgh or where they played in Edinburgh, but when we found out we could get in, it was in Edinburgh, we were, we were there and there was there was one sub. <laughs> <laughs> So you know you're in for a shift that day. I think that was my first game in four months, actually. Um, obviously, I, I tore my hamstring the back end of last season and was out pretty much from February the 12th. And I managed to play 90 minutes against Air um, at the end of April. But yeah, then I had another two months at home, obviously, over summer, just keeping myself fit. So when I found out there was one so I wasn't too happy, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> 
uh, especially Lewis McCann got injured as well, didn't he? So yeah. that, was, that was it. it was, we, we were thinking the subkeeper was maybe going to have come on. I mean, yeah, by the time that happened, I think uh, the subkeeper was already on. We were wondering if you might have rolling subs or something like that. Get uh, Oh, by the way. What's that? How good was that goalkeeper? Oh, incredible. Yeah. We're so glad when he got subbed off. I, I, was, I was going to mention, you know, don't normally talk about pre-season games, but it's just about the best goalkeeping display I think I've ever seen. I actually said to people I know that that was the best goalkeeping performance I've ever seen in my life. Aye. It was, and the, the thing was, I haven't looked at strollers, they, they've got they've got some sort of link with Hibs. I mean, I don't know how close it is or, or, or you know, what, what, what they do, but I saw him and he was quite a young lad and assumed that he's maybe you know, a hot prospect for Hibs and they'd, they'd loaned him out because obviously Strollers play in the, the Lowland League, so get him some experience. But apparently not. Apparently he was at Cowden Beath last season and played one game. Crazy, honestly. He must have had the game of his life, but fair play to the lad. Unless they've got, unless they had like some Donnarumma or someone and goals for them last season, I don't know. But I mean, I, 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 maybe he did. Or I, I, we couldn't believe it, Michael. Yeah. And then, of course, they subbed him off and we basically scored immediately. Yeah. I felt very sorry for the subkeeper. It wasn't his fault either, but everyone's got a lot of way to stop that. <laughs> I think it was, it was his name McCallum White or something like that. It sounds, it sounds very much like a whiskey. But, uh, but yeah, you, you were the other you were the other uh, point of intrigue in that game, Dan, because we managed to garner it was a Dan playing for us, but we were all kind of doing the rounds to see who the, who the trialist was. Aye. We got it by the end, though. Aye, aye, it was obviously nice to to be asked to play, and uh, obviously, like I said, it was my first game in a while. So, so yeah, it was it was a decent game. Obviously, pro- probably on another day it could have been ten plus, um, but for for what was just said, it wasn't. No, it's it's what it is. So it's, it's a tough question to answer, I suppose. But in training, then when you've obviously come into the squad, you've seen some of the guys play against you. But who's impressed you? Um, Tom Thomas is obviously a very very good player. Um, obviously when we played Dunfermline in the end of last season I'd just got myself back fit and was on the bench and uh, he terrorised our young left back uh, I think he's still having nightmares now he <laughs> <laughs> was a good lad um, there's loads of good players though I mean you've got Paul Watson um, Craig and like I say um, Kevin O'Hara he's a great finisher um, Paul Allen's really really impressed he's obviously a young lad Um I didn't realise he'd obviously played not many games, but he's unbelievable on the ball and training um, for a younger lad. So, so yeah, hopefully he gets a good good chance this season, which I'm sure he will. Uh, I think he's been he's been loaned out to uh, one or two clubs. He's had some experience. I, I, th- I think he's been at Albion Rovers off the top of my head. At Brecon as well, because I remember uh, Gabe mentioning that. Yeah, I think Matt was Matty Todd at Brecon as well, or am I? Am I... <laughs> I'm sure he's another good young player as well, Toddy. Uh, uh, if any of that's wrong, Michael just said it's out and puts the right teams in. <laughs> oh. uh, so we, we were hoping there might be one or two other names before we did the podcast, but uh, I think there's still irons in the fire, so we'll just have to see where it goes. Next, I was going to ask you, uh, sorry, Dan, is ideally where would you like to play? Because I think you were you're kind of known as more of a holding midfielder, I guess, for Queen of the South, but... Uh, I heard you might want to play kind of further up the park. Yeah, obviously when I was at Queens, it was uh, I came off a a year out of football uh, through a few injuries and whatever. Um, so it was more just playing was the main thing, um, and I played all over the place. I ended up playing out wide, which I'm not a wing. I'll be the first to admit that. 
um, played holding midfield, attacking midfield, a bit of everywhere. Um, so first and foremost, I just want to try and get myself in the team, wherever that may be. Um, but yeah, I do like to use one of my strongest points, I'd say, would be my energy. So I do like to get up the pitch and, uh, and win the ball back, get in the box. Um, but I don't mind doing the defensive role as well. So anywhere in the middle, I'd be happy playing, whether that defensive attacking or a number eight box to box. Um, just anywhere where I can help the team, really. And of course, the the season started very well on Saturday. Well, we take the first uh, twenty minutes or so out of the out of the equation, where we were, you know, Thistle came out of the traps fairly quickly, but uh, a fairly clinical counter attacking display from the boys in purple and green on Saturday. Yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously they're coming out of the traps fast. They're playing in front of the fans for the first time, and God knows how long she'd so probably expect that. Um, Obviously, we're a new bunch, new manager, new system, everything. So just adapting and uh, working on things. But yeah, it was obviously, like you say, a very good counter-attacking display and clinical. I mean, uh, to go in at half-time 3-1 up and then 4-1 just after the break. I mean, you probably couldn't wish for much better than that away at Park Thistle. Um, so yeah, it was a great start on Saturday and uh, thoroughly deserved, I think, in the end. I think Michael will maybe back me up here. I think a lot of us were seeing that where we are in the evolution of the squad and how early the season started and, and we're looking at uh, who's available and we're thinking, you know, maybe a draw would be quite a good result apart at this. So. Yeah, I mean, you look at the, the group in the, the table and you say that you, you need to beat the other championship side in a minimum if you want to progress. Um, so obviously to go there and get the win, which is the manager says he wants to go into every game and win, which... I'm sure all the fans want as well, which is the best attitude to have. And I don't think uh, this club and this team should fear anyone as well. Um, so obviously to go there and win the way we did, scoring four goals, which like you say, probably the first 20 minutes wasn't the greatest 20 minutes, is, is a real good sign, I think, in, a, in anyone's eyes. So it's good to, good to show that we can score goals even when we're not at our best and uh, can defend well when you're playing away from home in front of fans for the first time. So yeah, it's a, it was a good, strong start to the group did you see the goals Michael I have yeah great goals really good what a, what a fabulous lob for the, the fourth yeah it was brilliant and the pass as well for it by young Paul yeah yeah. Uh, I was going to ask you to dissect the defence for the first pars goal Michael <laughs> oh, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was strange it kind of just opened up for us it was a, it was a throw and end up with a header and suddenly we were through on goal both defenders followed the, the ball and they just played it, played it through to Big Toddy it was mm. Oh yeah, it's a lovely slotted pass, wasn't it? Yeah. What are you saying, Dan? I just said it was out of nowhere, wasn't it? And then it was a great finish. And then, like you say, we just went up from there and got the second and got the third, and then they were gone. Right. The third goal was a great goal. Yeah, it was. But again, that's another good sign to show that we were one nil down, not playing great. We went and scored three goals very quickly and changed the game. Uh, so a positive sign as well. Uh. And then obviously the the game on Tuesday there it was obviously a step up in class. Yeah, uh, but you do maybe don't always appreciate it as a fan. You know you think well you've got a lower league Premier League team, at, at, you know St Mirren, similar size club to Dunfermline. We, we passed the ball a bit great until they scored, and then and we struggled to get a foothold in the game. I thought. Yeah, I'd probably agree with you. I'd say yeah. Like you say, you're playing premiership opposition, but again, everyone went with the mindset of we're going to win this game. And I think the first 25 minutes, you probably look at it and say that we passed the ball about really well, really brave, made the pitch big, uh, moved it around well. And to be honest, I don't think they 
lived with us the first 25 minutes. Um, then, like you say, they got a goal, which isn't the greatest goal ever. Um, could have been prevented. And then, again, you look at it, do you say the fans are there? They're a bit like a 12th man. Um, they get a little bit of a lift from that after not playing so great. Um, and then, yeah, I'd, I'd probably say second half, we didn't pass the ball as well, um, but still had a couple of chances at the end of the game. But it's like you say, to step up in class. Um, but yeah, for the first 25 minutes, really impressed and felt good playing. Um, and then the second half was obviously a bit tougher. Um, but that can happen as well. Obviously, like you say, I'm sure there's going to be more boys coming through the door. I think uh, they, they've obviously got a big, big squad. Um, so yeah, there's still plenty of positives to take and uh, we'll move on. Right. It's also their first game. We yeah. played on the Saturday, so th- maybe that helped us to start and didn't help us as the game went on. I don't, I don't know. Uh, as Michael alluded to, we're on Thursday night, so by the time this gets edited and gets out, probably the Dumbarton game will be over by the time it drops on the, the official site. So I was figuring we would just make some assumptions. So uh, great performance against Dumbarton. <laughs> I didn't expect six goals, <laughs> but. Uh, no, well, I was going to talk. I was going to stand to talk us through a thirty-yard screamer for the, the second goal. Listen, you'll be encouraging me to shoot now. Good <laughs> <laughs> win, never mind the goal. You, you, have, you have a goal in your senior career, I saw. Yeah, yeah, one, but that's not enough. I'd obviously like a few more. Uh, I probably should have shot on Tuesday night. To be fair, I think I ended up squaring it to Toddy, but I should have took the touch and shot myself early on in the second half. You can understand it though, he's just off the back of two goals at Thistle, so uh, confidence is high and you give the ball to the striker. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's uh, obviously two great finishes, so why not? <laughs> uh, how much are you looking forward to Saturday? I, I was gonna I was gonna bring Bertie in at this point and say he was the lucky one that got in last season as the as the commentator, but uh, how, how much are you looking forward to actually getting a game, Michael? Uh, no, I'm very much looking forward to it. Very much looking forward to it. Missed, missed going to the game a lot. Um, as you mentioned, we went to that civil service strollers game and it was fantastic just to be at a game around other fans, you know, see real football, never mind this international nonsense we've been subjected to. Um, so, yeah, I can't wait. Can't wait for Saturday. Absolutely. And uh, Stenhouse Muir, obviously, the week after. So, if we, if we can win both games, uh, and it's a big if, I know, but uh, on paper, we're the favourites in both. Uh, nine points has got a good history of getting teams through to the last 16, which is, uh, as you may know, Dan, we've got quite a good record in, in recent years in the League Cup of getting through to the last 16. At least we are actually in the last eight last year. Yeah, I mean, I've always seen from afar that Dunfermline have obviously always progressed from the group. So for me personally, coming in, I've never been further than the group stage. So it's something I want to achieve. Uh, and I know all the boys in there and the manager especially don't just want it, they demand it as well. Um, I think it's a minimum getting through the group and I think uh, winning these next two games will put us in a very, very strong position to obviously advance. And then it's a lottery then, isn't it? Last year, we did we win all the games? in the? I think we won four out of four and then we beat our both away from home, a really good display up there. And then we took mm-hmm. St Johnston to penalties. That's right. Which isn't normally anything to majorly brag about, but taking St John's the penalties in a cup last season's quite good, uh, <laughs> quite good record. And then after that, obviously the league season, we we start off at uh, at Morton. Now I'm just taking notes. I'm looking at the teams in the league. I, I think it's really really difficult to predict. Now obviously we don't know exactly how the, the, the our squad's going to look 
but there seems to be a lot of similar sized teams in the league. Obviously, you've had Hearts and Dundee. Not that I put Dundee as massively bigger than the Paris, but uh, Dundee, Dundee fans may disagree with that. But Hearts obviously were, you know, they're a club that maybe on size shouldn't be in the championship. And then we've got likes of Aloha have come down, uh, whereas we've got Thistle come up, Kelly come down to join us, Hamilton come down to join us. So there's a lot of similar sized teams in the championship. I'm expecting it to be really, really competitive this season. Yeah, I mean, going off what you said about Morton first game, I think it's probably the best time to play them when uh, the pitch is lovely and uh, hasn't been ruined. So <laughs> that one out of the way nice and quickly. Um, but yeah, the league, obviously there's a lot of big clubs in the league now. Um, you said you, you've got rid of Hart to last season, obviously it was too easy for them in a way. Um, and I think this league's there for anyone who, re- who really wants it. Um, and hopefully that's us come the end of it. Um, but yeah, like you say, it's going to be very competitive. Um, it's a league which everyone knows anyone can beat anyone on any given day, um, which is great for a neutral. Mm. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's an exciting league and uh, one that I believe we will go do very well in this season. Oh, certainly, certainly hope so. It's, it's like the championship down south. It is just bloodthirsty. Though. It's just nothing's a given. You can go thump somebody 3-4-0 one week and then lose to someone you're expected to beat the next week and it's like what's happening uh, it's a good league though like you say it's entertaining and uh, it's whoever can put the best runs together so hopefully that's us come uh, the 31st of July I think the first game is absolutely the case in point was uh, your former team last season they were the worst team in the league up until Boxing Day then the best team in the league for the next uh, two or three months and then just as just as you were in the, the, the fight for the playoffs it kind of tailed off again obviously coinciding with your injury yeah, I mean, uh, last season, obviously, it was a difficult start, I think. I don't think we were as bad as what we played the first couple of months. I think there was obviously some good players in the squad. Um, for whatever reasons, we just couldn't win. No luck. Um, everything going against us. And then come Christmas, like you say, we, we couldn't get beat. Um, so it was a funny one. But again, that can happen in this league. And I think Queens are known for starting really well up until Christmas and then maybe falling off after Christmas. So it was nice... Uh, to maybe do it the other way around and then just unfortunate to miss out on playoffs. But yeah, it was a overall good season for the club and uh, yeah, happy that obviously they're still in the league and nothing but respect for the club. Just did that last season. We, we started off... Uh, yeah, you, you were flying, weren't you, Dunford? Uh, we were really yeah. positive, weren't we, Michael? We were like, pretty much up until that Hearts game and we beat Hearts and then it all kind of fell apart after that. It was a great, great game and result last. It was absolutely cracking match. We actually gave when we played Hearts three times. There was a well, we won the game at home. The first one, I think we deserved to win that. I didn't actually see the game at Tynecastle, but we got beat one 0 It was a late goal, and I think we played very well. I remember he talked about that the other day, and he was saying the Dunfermline absolutely hammered them, right. and they were unlucky to to not win that game. And then the, 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 there was the game uh, when we were in really bad form. I think we I think we just come off the back of. Uh, five one at the Rovers, and before that, we'd thrown away a two goal lead at Dens Park. And I think Hearts mm-hmm. were up next, and we drew nil nil. Did we hit the bar? And then we had one cleared off the line. I think, uh, I think we should have won that game at East End Park as well. So we, we 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 managed to do it against the best team in the league, but we were just woefully inconsistent. I mean, it, again, that says a lot about the league because I mean, we when I was at Queen of the South, we got beat six one away at Tynecastle and then after Christmas went and beat them 3-2 at Tynecastle <laughs> <laughs> and, 
do one one with him on a telly the night I pulled my hamstring, and that was one nil, and they got a penalty in the ninety second minute. Oh, I, I remember mean, that getting beat six one to taking four points off them. It's a it's a funny old league. Absolutely. Yeah, I was going to ask you about Peter Grant. Uh, just just wondering what style he's trying to to play. I see his Alloa team are really really quite nice to watch. Very unlucky to get beat two uh, one at the tail end of the season at East End Park. He seems to certainly want to play the game the right way. You know, the ball on the deck and you know utilizing the wide players and things like that. Are, are you found the style uh, to your sitting? Yeah, obviously playing against Alloa it was a nightmare. Um, obviously they passed the ball about so well, didn't they? I think everyone knows that and uh, they've got that reputation. So obviously he wants to bring that here, which is the best way to play football. I think all fans would agree with that as long as you're winning. Um, and yeah, training's obviously always on the ball. He wants short and sharp drills. He wants minimum touches, everything like that. So it's a lot different to, I'd say, what I've been used to the last two years, but every team's got a different and style of play and you've got, to, you've got to adapt to that but yeah I'm really enjoying it and I think all the boys are buying into it well they are and uh, it's like you say you look at the first 25 minutes the other night um, and it was brilliant but it's just now doing that over a longer period of time in a game and uh, I think in the championship I think if you can pass the ball well and everyone buys into it I think you can really really put put some good results and score plenty of goals well, it's certainly where you've come from, as obviously Alan Johnston, Sandy Clark. Now, I guess they kind of divide opinion a wee bit amongst Pars fans, but it's because they were here quite a long time. They certainly left the club in a far better position than they started with. So, uh, I'm of the opinion they did a very good job here. But are they? They seem certainly when it started out, they like to get the ball forward a bit, a bit more quickly. No, I mean obviously Sandy and the Gaff Allen, nothing but great with me. So I haven't got a bad word to say about them. Um, Obviously, gave me a chance in Scottish football, but yeah, like you say, every every team's got a different style of play. Obviously, there's clubs have got bigger budgets, and obviously, Queens have probably got one of the lower ones. Um, and again, the pitch isn't the best at home, so you've got to adapt to that. And uh, I think it was just about making making games uncomfortable when teams came to Palmerston, and uh, like you say, getting the ball forward fast and uh, making teams uncomfortable, which. It's been effective over the last two years because Queens have stayed in the division, which is the most important thing. Um, but is it the most attractive to watch? You'd probably say no, but it's a result business at the end of the day, isn't it? So, uh, and to turn on the great Willie Gibson into a right back as well was a, a stroke of genius. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, Willie came in. I think he wanted to play uh, midfield. He's a great lad. Uh, I think he probably wished he was in the shape he is now, probably 10 years ago. Um, but technically, he's brilliant. I think he's well. He's obviously a winger still at heart, isn't he? So when he's playing full back and he's uh, stepping in with the ball, uh, it's brilliant. I mean, I've just seen he got in team of the round for Tuesday night, and his assist on Tuesday he must have run fifty yards and skinned five players. So <laughs> he's still added at thirty six, thirty seven, isn't he? Well, I mean, Michael, tell you he was with Dunfermline two, three seasons uh, as a winger, mm. and. Uh, I mean, some great performances. The, the the game at Dundee against Dundee that night was chucking down the rain. Still, yeah. about now. That was that was a fantastic performance that night. That was this, was that the same night the keeper got his leg broken. Uh, I think I, I think it was unfortunate towards then. Remembered for that rather than uh, his performance, but he was, he tore Dundee apart that night. It was I, brilliant. It was it was one of those days, Dan. It was it was just chucking it down the rain. I think Gibson was. I want to say he was playing the left wing that night, and they. they 
they had one guy on him and then they had two guys on him, or three guys on him by the end. It was just in the mood. They just they, they couldn't do anything about it. I said last year, obviously, he scored a screamer against Dundee away with his left foot. He put it in the top corner. Mm. And all the lads were just joking on with him. And I think one of the lads had said, have you seen his goals on YouTube? And I'd never really seen them. So I've obviously typed in Willie Gibson on YouTube. And wow, he scored some screamers, to be fair. Strand Rye was that, wasn't he? And obviously Dunfermline there. So, yeah, he's obviously a very talented and gifted player and it shows that he's still able to play at this level at 37 and he looks comfortable in a new position, which he's only started playing last year. Like, like you're saying, you know, probably 10 years ago, Gibson's maybe the, one of the last players you would have thought would still be going at this age, but he obviously just loves the game and is keeping himself in good shape. You know what? You won't see a better trainer than, than Willie. Every single day he comes in, head down, and he's at it. Um, and he told me he's got a thing where he, he runs 10 kilometres a day. So if he only trains five kilometres, he'll go home and run five. If he trains seven, he'll go home and train three. So I think he's just really looking after himself and, uh, and he wants to obviously stay in the game for as long as possible, which you've got to respect. Absolutely. That's exactly what I do in my life as well. So that's... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, completely forgotten what I was going to say next now. Uh, no, I, 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 would, I would take him back. But I, it's probably that ship has sailed, but I, I, I don't think he's a great player. So if, if we assume, let, let's be positive. Let's let's assume we will challenge uh, up at the right end of the, the league this season. Michael, I'll put you on the spot. Who else is going to make up the top four? Or he would be better at this because he knows all the squads inside out. In no particular order, top four, I think, will be us, Kelly, uh, Inverness. The obvious for, one. For, for the obvious one's Hamilton? No, but they, I've got five written down there on it. But oh, Rovers. Rovers. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. That's Aye, Rovers. Yeah. That'd be the top four for me. Hopefully in that order. I, I, well, that, that's, the, that's, the ones, that's the ones I've got as well. Uh, very impressed by the Rovers whenever they played us last season, Dan. I don't know how you, how you found them, but they, they certainly seemed to pass the ball a bit exceptionally well against us. Yeah, we, we had them second game of the season and uh, we got hammered 5-2, I think it was. They just came up and uh, obviously you don't really know what to expect from a team who just come up. But yeah, they played brilliant, didn't they? And I, I think that goes to show that if you pass the ball well in this league with a style of play, um, it can get you a long way. In. And I don't see why there's any reason we can't uh, be up there winning the league, never mind challenging for the top four. Uh, you want to be as high as possible and I think uh, with the style of play we're obviously playing at the minute I truly believe we can do that let's hope so yeah absolutely uh, well we, we we hammered them 4-1 at uh, the New Year game and then uh, they certainly got their own back 5-1 five, five, <laughs> and then knocking us out in the playoffs that was Queen's turn of uh, fortune that as well went from it was when was it would have been was it the 30th of December or something like that? We we went away and uh, the goalkeeper got injured in the warm-up. Young 16-year-old comes in for his debut. Has the game of his life again and uh, we won 2-0 away, yeah. Right. We, we played them shortly after and won 4-1 at East End. It was our best performance of the season. And then we, we went to starts part later on, got beat 5-1, which was our worst performance of the season. And then uh, the playoff games are quite tight, actually. It was one of those ones we were actually probably outplayed them at Eastern Park and couldn't get a goal. And then we held our own until they scored in the, the second leg. And then, to be fair, we never looked like we were going to get an equaliser. Mm. No. I've got big uh, big Todder off at the door now. Have you? He can, he can come and say hello if he wants. Toddy, 
they want you to come say hello. <laughs> good for the paper one, Dan. Here he is, the big. Hi, how are you doing? Hi, we're good. Good, it's an official podcast, Toddy. Why are you talking to this guy? <laughs> this, is, this is the man everyone wants to hear from. Yeah. They want you next, the goal scorer. Oh, yeah, well, we'll, we'll, yeah. Get, we'll get you next. <laughs> as long as you keep scoring goals, you know. Yeah, guys. He's back off. It's his, uh, it's his <laughs> birthday today, so he's back off. Oh, he stuff. just loves us. You see him and his wife in his house. Ah, right, okay. No, he's got a... He's got a football sounding name, hasn't it? If you if you bring your mate Nikolai Todorov to the fives, you know he's going to be a player. <laughs> if you say that name and you're saying what job does he work, and you're definitely saying uh, one of them would be a footballer, and then the other one would be something a bit dodgy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where your mind's going, Dan. I was going to say gymnast. A Falkirk footballer. <laughs> <laughs> gymnast or Falkirk footballer. Uh, uh, great stuff. Well, good to see Toddy there, and. Uh, yeah, we keep some banging on goals. We might invite him across. Uh, we shall see. Pressure's on him. Uh, so I was going to take, take you on. We're moving on. We'll talk about the Euros then. Uh, then maybe have a chat about your career to date, Dan, if that's okay. Yeah, no problem. What What did we both think of the Euros? A good tournament? Yeah, obviously overall it was really good to watch. I mean, footballers, they were off um, when the Euros started. So, I mean, you're watching, and I'm sure it's the same for everyone, you're watching any game. I mean, I remember watching North... Macedonia at one point, which I never thought I'd say I'd watch them. But you sort of just watching any game which is on, it's great. Um, overall, I'd say the tournament was terrible the way it finished. Um, that's my... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I remember watching it with uh, Ian, Young Toddy and Vitus. And uh, yeah, I had my hood up watching the end of it, the penalties. Ian was jumping about, celebrating like he just won the lottery. And uh, <laughs> didn't really bother, but... Yeah, it was obviously a devastating ending, but overall it was really good to watch. And I think it's what everyone needed as well after obviously a tough year to 18 months to, to have a tournament back on telly with fans in. And uh, I'm not sure if either of you who got to go to Hamden to watch any of the games, but obviously for the Scottish people to, to be able to go there and watch some games would have been brilliant. Absolutely. I, I, we weren't out there. My, my, my family's all Italian, so at least I had a second team, though. Which oh. was... <laughs> so... I'm legit, Dan, when I was jumping about the living room, it wasn't just uh, anti-English sentiment. Oh, no. <laughs> when Scotland either don't qualify or uh, or go out, I have a I have a something to fall back on normally for the later stages, <laughs> except, of course, the last World Cup. But anyway. I've not seen Ian move so fast in the three weeks I've been here than when uh, Italy won that penalty shootout. He was off that chair and up jumping about quicker than I've ever seen him. <laughs> Uh, no, sorry, I thought I, I, for all those reasons, it was nice to be back on telly. I was kind of, I kind of lost interest in the football on telly when there was no fans, and you know, it was nice at the start of the pandemic when we hadn't seen football in about four months. When you're, you know, you're watching German games or, or anything like that. But by the end of the season, when there was Premier League games down south on every night, and the league was tied up, I got a bit bored of it. So, but when this, when the tournament started, and I started getting more and more fans into. It, I think, I think everyone got more and more engaged. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you'd say the end of the Premiership, it was like testimonial. Some of the games weren't there when there's nothing to play for and there's no fans. And uh, yeah. you don't get that in Scotland, though. In the Scottish Championship, it's obviously frantic from the big goal, which is right. probably a good league to watch because anything can happen. Absolutely. Uh, the other thing I liked about the, the Euros, I was going to say that the, the refereeing, yeah. often if you're watching... Certainly a game at an elite level, shall we call it, a Champions League or in a Premier League. You know, if, if 
if a player goes down, say he's got the back, he's back to you know a defending player and goes down, it tends to always be a foul. And you know, anyone who's played football at any standard, whether it's fives or you know, at the, you know, level you play at, Dan, you can see when it's a foul and when it's not. And it's quite frustrating when it's just automatic. You know, the, the, yeah. you know the ref's going to blow his whistle. I thought they were far more alive to this tournament. I don't know what you thought, Michael. Yeah, they seem to let the, the games flow a bit more. Um, one thing, this kind of is more an answer to the previous question, but um, until until the fans were getting in bigger numbers, I, I still think I couldn't really get into it. Uh, I watched the Scotland games, of course, but yeah, it's only really the latter stages that I, I paid proper attention to. They had 67,000 hungry, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. mm, mm, that's true, that's true. They, they, they had no COVID there from the start. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But no, it was. It was. I I know what you mean. When when they went to, even when they went hammed in the first game, I mean, obviously the whole country was up for it. But you know, they were saying how loud it was, but it still just looked kind of bare. It looked like a, uh, you know, a, a Scottish Cup semi final against two smaller clubs. It, it, yeah. it looked like that. But uh, I I mean, a typical Scotland. You know, they they did quite well against the Czech Republic. Lost the goal before half time. Lost the goal of the tournament, which could have been avoided. Go to Wembley. We looked to uh, just try and avoid a hiding. Played really, really well, and then of course Gilmore gets COVID, and then you know we we, we ultimately go out with a bit of a damp squib against Croatia. I think you probably look at it and say that if you'd had that Croatia game first, and then your England game and your your final game against the Czech, that might have been a different story. Um, but what a performance against England! But that was that was yeah. Well, it's easy to say, but that's the one time we had our probably full squad to choose from. Yeah, yeah I, th- I think I think Scotland can be competitive, but I think I think we need Tierney playing with with Robertson playing left wing back. Mm-hmm. I think we now know we need Billy Gilmore playing as well in centre midfield, uh, and I think that will be the you know those three will certainly be the mainstay for the next half a dozen years. And then you, you, you filter in players around them. Obviously you like Sir John McGinn. Uh, for me, Shea Adams has probably got to start as well. So I think we'll be very competitive if we get our first 11 on the pitch, but the, the problem is the strength and depth after that. You look at it though, and it's definitely a strong core, isn't it? I mean, you've got some players at top clubs now, so there's no reason why they can't challenge and uh, play some of these top teams. But the other thing I've got scribbled in the notes though that it was good to see some of the underdogs do well. Uh, the caveat that to that being that uh, Austria and Denmark are two of the three that did really well when they're in our World Cup group. Yeah, and you look at Ukraine as well. Obviously, you got the quarterfinals. It was probably a bit harsh that they had to play 120 minutes and then they get England a couple of days later. Aye. Yeah, it's always great to see an underdog. Never mind two or three of them do really well. And I mean, you look at Denmark. Got beat off Finland. Got beat off Belgium. Look like they're going out and then go hammer Russia and scrape through on three points um, and get into the semi-final and we're probably a bit unlucky against England as well. Um, so not made for a good tournament, didn't it? Then when these, obviously, it's like you see Czech Republic as well. That lad finished one of the top goal scorers and they went and knocked out Holland who looked very good. And then you've got Switzerland. Yeah. The, the comeback of all comebacks against France. Amazing, yeah. Uh, no, Scotland's World Cup group, that's our problem. No, Denmark and Austria in the group. Uh, group that, is it? It looked all right on paper, but it doesn't look so clever now. But I think I think Denmark have already hammered Austria over there. So uh, the, the one hope is, I think we played Denmark in the last game at Hamden, where they'll probably be already group winners. 
So we 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 we, we could catch them when they're slightly less motivated. And if, we, if all goes well, it might be vital for us, but not so vital for them. Anyway, it's very difficult for Scotland to qualify for the World Cup, given how many European places there are. It's also hard for us to qualify, given that we're not as good at football. Yeah, but my point being that there's maybe 13, 14 countries qualify from Europe and we can probably name eight of them off the top of our heads, all the, yeah. all the big nations normally get there. So, you know, the, the other half dozen are made up by smaller nations. It's quite competitive. The amount of stick I got on Monday, I totally don't qualify. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Was it, was it bad, was it, Dan? I wasn't allowed to open my mouth on Monday. I... <laughs> But, Imagine you'd won. Oh, I would have been, I would have turned up in an England shirt. <laughs> Maybe in training by your own yourself, I think, if that happened. Uh, but uh, no, the, the other great day, the, the, the day of 14 goals in the tournament, loved that. And Spain, Croatia, and France, Switzerland, it was a mm. phenomenal day. Uh, so it's, it's days like that that kind of define tournaments that what they'll be remembered for. Uh, obviously, it was. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm maybe not a typical Scottish fan, but I, I kind of like, I like Gareth Southgate quite a lot. I think he's a decent guy. I, I, you know, I like a lot of the players. I think there's a lot to like about the England team. Mm-hmm. I was quite uh, part of me that I, I didn't really want England to fail at the group stages and then Southgate to get slaughtered. So I was kind of glad they were doing well. When I got to penalty shoes in the final, I thought it was fun was over though. It was time for things to be set right. So how cool was Donnarumma though when he saved the winning penalty? Oh, I mean, he's going to be some goalkeeper, isn't he? I mean, he already is, but at 22 years old, nearly 300 appearances. I mean, frightening, isn't it? He, he apparently didn't realise that, that, was, that they'd won the tournament, though. He didn't realise that, right? that that save gave them the tournament. That's why he oh. was so cool. <laughs> I didn't realise that. Is that what they said? Yeah, I've, he, I've seen that somewhere, yeah. Yeah, he walks off, doesn't know. He thinks it's Pickford's turn to go back and call, and then uh, <laughs> he realised when I think it's that Bellotti jumps on him. <laughs> I was wondering. I thought he was super cool, but uh, oh, well, there you go. I guess that's being focused on only the job in hand, isn't it? You can only uh, do what you do in front of you. So, <laughs> you know, if you phase everyone else out and just try and save the penalties, I suppose the rest takes care of itself. Definitely, yeah. So, uh, just going to move on to to your career to date, Dan. If that's okay. Yeah, no problem. So, uh, you're from South Shields, is that right? No, I'm actually from Newcastle. I don't know why. Everyone always thinks I'm from Sunderland, South Shields. I'm actually from Newcastle. Soccer base. That's my, yeah. that's my recent yeah, point. Needs updated. I've never lived in South Shields in my life. Okay, there you go. So you're from Newcastle, Dan? <laughs> yeah, I'm from Newcastle. Um, lived there all my life. Good night out. Yeah, it's decent. I'd recommend to anyone who wants to go. Yeah. Obviously, being an athlete, you don't frequent these places when they're open. But uh, you know, good, good, good nightlife. Uh, but you started off uh, your football career at Sunderland. Yeah, I was at Sunderland for ten years. I went in when I was nine years old, and I uh, was fortunate enough to get a really good upbringing there. It's obviously known for probably, maybe not so much now because obviously the first team's not doing so well. But at the time, it was uh, one of the top academies in the country. Um, and the facilities are obviously one of the best in the country as well. So very good upbringing, um, very good academy on and off the pitch, and uh, yeah, had a good upbringing there. Good ten years. And are you a Newcastle fan or a Sunderland fan? Um, my family's Newcastle, but I was there so long, I sort of just became a Sunderland fan. And my dad is a Sunderland fan. Right. Uh, 
yeah, I used to go to games with him before I was even signed there. So yeah, I ended up being a Sunderland fan. Yeah, bit of both. Uh, my dad actually studied down in Durham, so he used to go down to he used to go to Newcastle one week and Sunderland the next. But probably that. Uh, and, uh, two nice stadiums as well. So yeah. I, I, I love St James's Park. It's absolutely brilliant. I've never been to a stadium like but St James's Park. It's fantastic. Uh, so, uh, if you did that, you played youth football for England, I believe, with with some fairly impressive names. Yeah, yeah. I was uh, I was youth team captain at Sunderland, um, and then I was fortunate enough to obviously get four or five England appearances. Me, my debut was against Scotland on Sky Sports. Um, I think at the time I was the second youngest player to play. For for England in the 16s. I was only 14 at the time. Um, and then my other parents came a couple of years later. But yeah, there were some big names in the team who've obviously gone on and had really, really successful careers. So yeah, it's obviously, it's always a good story saying you played with them and it's obviously an honour to play for you, couldn't be no matter what level it's at. Absolutely. I've got Tam Abraham, Joe Gomez and Patrick Roberts, just three kind of notable ones that have kicked on. Is that yeah. accurate? You could name half the squad, honestly. The majority have probably played in the Premiership. I mean, You've got Dean Henderson as your goalkeeper, uh, Lewis Cook, he Bournemouth bought Lewis Cook. Yes. Um, Jordan Rossiter, he was very good at that that time. Um, you've got Adam Armstrong, who's at Blackburn. I think he's going to get a premiership move this summer. Um, oh, the, li- the list is honestly, it's frightening. Tamori, who's just been bought for 28 million by AC Milan. Uh, John Joe Kenny, who was at Celtic last season. Um I mean, it shows when they went and won the under-17 European Championships and then the under-19 World Cup. Um, yeah, there's no surprise England's first team is doing so well now. Oh, it's, a, it's a conveyor belt, isn't it? And yeah. it's certainly, I, I, you know, sort of the emergence of kind of what the, the South, London, South London street footballers as well. There's a lot of, uh, lot of proper players in there. Rashford is... Rashford actually struggled to get in it now and then, to be honest with you. So it just shows how strong that, that age group really was back then. Yeah. Mm. Absolutely. Uh, I take it you beat Scotland. 1-0, actually, yeah. It was, a, it was a late goal and it was the victory shield, it was called back I then. I remember, I. Um, so, yeah, it's obviously a competitive tournament at a young age. and I think it's three games and, I mean, all up different players for every game. So I was on standby for the first two. Then I was fortunate enough to be part of probably the best one where you where you lift the trophy. Um, so yeah, it's probably offside the goal. <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling I watched that match. I have a vague recollection of watching Scotland lose one 0 to a young but England side. They were always on Sky Sports. The victory yeah. shield. I don't know if it's still going, but I mean, if it is, it's still on. No, it's not going anymore. But which is obviously a bit disappointing because at a young age, it's a good. Good tournament to be involved in, like you say, lads get a chance to represent the country, which they might never get again. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm very fortunate enough to have done that. And uh, but yeah, it's disappointing that it's not on anymore. Wonder why they stopped. I mean, I don't know. England obviously won it just about every year, didn't they? That's my recollection. Yeah, I think obviously the odd time Scotland and Wales might have won it, and uh, who else was in it? Was was it Northern Ireland? I think it was Northern, Northern been, Ireland. Yeah. them, yeah. Yeah. So you, you you left Sunderland for for Bradford to get a, a taste of first team football. Uh, played a couple of games there and played a few games for Bradford Park Avenue. Is that right? Yeah, obviously it's tough getting in any Premiership side when you're young. So I took the chance and uh, went to Bradford, which Stuart McCall was the manager, Scottish man, and Kenny Black was the assistant. Uh, two great guys. Um, loved my time there. It's obviously a massive club. Didn't play as much as I would have wanted to for whatever reason. Um, 
was on the bench plenty of times. I was only a young lad, 1920, but still, I think I made seven, eight appearances. Um, went out on loan to, it was a conference north then again, just developing and uh, getting more experience for a month. Played four or five times there, which was, was an experience to say the least. Um, <laughs> but again, it's something you need and it set us up well for, for where I'm at now. Um, but yeah, overall, it was, uh, it's, everyone knows Bradford's a massive club. Um, didn't play as much as I would have liked, but again, I was fortunate enough to represent the club a, a few times. So yeah. Is, is uh, Bradford in uh, fourth tier then or third tier? Yeah, I joined when they were top end of League One in my first six months there. We ended up losing in the playoff final to Millwall at Wembley. Um, I wasn't on the bench, but I was obviously involved, got to go, which was a great experience to to be part of the group playing in front of 90,000 and uh, got beat 1-0 on the day and obviously Millwall have went up and stayed up in the championship. So mm. could have been a different story for Bradford then. The following season again, we were in the top six the whole whole time till Christmas and then flying, we're fourth at the time and out of nowhere, we lost seven games and the manager got sacked um, and then ended up finishing 12th. So out of nowhere, just things turned so fast, which can obviously happen in football and then new manager came in and uh, didn't really get a look in from there. So yeah, obviously left the end of that season, whatever happened. But uh, we'll have to take advice, Michael, if we're allowed to say ex-Airdrie player Kenny Black is a great guy. The <laughs> guy, that's what Kenny Black is. He's a funny guy. I, I was sitting there thinking, is there, are there any other Kenny Blacks? Surely it must be a different Kenny Black. Yeah, Pars and Airdrie had quite a rivalry back in the day, Dan. When he, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, oh. Legendary stuff. Uh, so then uh, you left for Pastures, knew you left for Blythe. Uh, you going to get a testimonial there anytime soon? I think it was one day, wasn't it? Uh, well, four days is what I saw. Four, I was, yeah. I was going to ask what happened. At the time, I knew the manager. He'd asked if I could help out and just be on like uh, a pay-as-you-play deal. Just for it was literally going to be a week anyway. Right. Obviously, people joke about it now, saying how short it was, but I knew it was literally for that Saturday. And it turns out I, I helped him out because he didn't have a bench and I didn't even bloody get on. So I mean, <laughs> <laughs> what good that was, I don't know. But uh, but yeah, it was literally a short stint. And then I, I went over to Norway, which again, wasn't the greatest level, I'll admit. Um, but it was more of an experience. I mean, I lived in a, a beach house on the beach, uh, which not many people would get the chance to do. And I mean, to say you can do that playing football as well is obviously a privilege. Mm. Uh, there for two months and then, Got a bit of a bad injury when I came home. Um, tore one of my groins and had a hernia in the other. So I think that their season's a summer season, so finishes around the end of October. Um, so I came home and I needed an operation. I didn't have a club, so I was in a sticky situation. Um, so I sorted myself out, went and got an operation and uh, had to have myself for four or five months. And then I was fortunate enough to be given the chance to, to go up on trial with Queen of the South and... From there, it's history. Obviously, was there the last two seasons, and uh, I owe that club obviously a great deal because they took me in after missing probably six, seven months of playing at a crucial age of your career, 21, 2021. Um, so yeah, to be given the chance again was was very good, and obviously now I'm here, so I'm very grateful for everyone at that club for for giving me the chance. I, I couldn't find much info about the club itself, but is, is it? I'll not pronounce it right because it's I'm not Scandinavian, but it's Tonsberg. Tonsberg, yeah. I didn't know much about them myself, but apparently back in the day they used to be in the top division and uh I think they'd obviously went bankrupt and uh 
went down the leagues. I mean, it was a nice stadium, beautiful setup. It was a state-of-the-art gym. And like I say, they put me in a, a lad on loan from, it was Red Bull Salzburg in Austria. Mm-hmm. I lived with him in a beach house. So, I mean, it, it can't be that bad of a, a club or a setup. And, yeah. But yeah, I think they might even be non-existent now. They might have just parted ways again, went bankrupt again. But right. it was, again, it was an experience uh, and something which not many people get to do. I mean, obviously people go on holiday in Norway, but to live there for two months and experience playing football there and travelling around... Uh, it's great, yeah. And then, then, then to Dumfries, uh, like you said, you had you had two good seasons there. Uh, now I, I was I was looking at this back in January. Obviously, you got, I know you got injured in, in February. Back in January, you were obviously impressing because uh, apparently there was reported interest from Dunfermline back then, as well as Ross County, Bradford again, and Bolton. So, w- were you aware of interest at the time, or? Um, yeah, I'd probably say, if I'm totally honest about myself, I'm obviously critical of myself, I'd say the first, my first season at Queen of the South was probably my, my better season. Um, I mean, we, we were nearly bottom of the league come the end of it, but I think up until New Year, we were challenging for the top four. Then again, after Christmas, we went on a terrible run. Um, but I'd definitely say I probably had a stronger first season than last season. And last season, results didn't go the way we wanted the first couple of months. And then obviously I got injured after Christmas when the team went on such a brilliant run. Um, so if I'm being critical of myself I'd probably say first year I was better and there was some interest from clubs um, Covid came so for whatever reason I got the chance to go back to Queen of the South which I was 22 years old at the time um, I'd obviously hadn't played many first team games so the chance to play another season under a manager who trusted me and obviously had a lot, got a lot of respect for uh, Alan and Sandy it was a no-brainer for me really to go back and play but obviously like I say First half of the season was a disaster in terms of results. And then second half of the season was probably even worse when I tore my hamstring. So uh, it probably ended not as good as I would have hoped. But I'm here now, so I can't complain. But to, to be fair to you, I think if, if the research I did was right, which is no guarantee of that, uh, you were you didn't you didn't tear your hamstring till February. So the Queens had yeah. turned around with you and the team before yeah. that. From after Christmas, I think it was nine games played and I think we won seven, drew one and uh, mm-hmm. lost to the Gaffer now. Uh, Alois team, which went one nil up and you're thinking this is going to be a hammer in here and then bloody get beat 2-1. That's why bookies are uh, generally wealthy. <laughs> uh, football's a strange game to predict. So so how, so how was, was that the case? Did you have a year at Queen of the South and then you, you kind of resigned for another year? It wasn't a two-year deal? No, no, it was a year and then obviously COVID came. So I think club, clubs all around the country in England obviously wanted to save money and they don't sign boys in July when no one knew what was happening. I mean, in the world, never mind football. And then obviously the manager had rang us just saying he really wants us back. And I was just weighing up my other options. And uh, yeah, I ended up thinking that was the best one for me in my development. And uh, obviously whatever happened last season happened, but I can't complain. I mean, I played... 52 times there in uh, the two years I was there, which is a good, decent amount of games, mm. uh, obviously with a with a bad injury. So, yeah, it's, it's uh, put us in good stead, to say the least. Right. Especially when you got two truncated seasons. The, f- the first one didn't finish due yeah. to COVID and the second one was sort of three-quarters size. So, you, you must have played the most of the games. Yeah, I mean, the first season I was there, I think I started every game bar Annan in the Betfred Cup, which was just a rest. Um, and then the second season, I, I think I've started pretty much every game, bar three or four, which were 
again, I think one of them was I wasn't playing great at the time, and then the other one was uh, the other couple were coming back from nickels or knocks, and then come the end of the season. So yeah, I started pretty much every game I was there, which again was the reason I went back, and uh, I obviously owe a lot to the club and to the manager for giving me that faith and and trust, and it's something that obviously I want to come here and play, and that's what I want to do. So, so how did the move come about? Um, obviously, I spoke with the manager. Um, and he seemed interested, so there was nothing concrete at the time, so I sort of put myself forward. I understood that I hadn't played in a while. Um, it was two months from February till the end of the season, then I was trained the last couple of weeks, played 90 minutes against there, then another two months off, so it doesn't really look very attractive for, for anyone missing a good chunk of the season. I mean, you don't know how fit someone someone is or anything, so I put myself forward and said, listen, no problem, I'll, I'll drive up, I'll uh, I'll train, I'll play in any games you want us to play, and I'll show that I'm fit in there. Obviously, the year when I came back from Norway and had to rehab myself, mentally, it set us up well in terms of that was probably rock bottom for me. It's not going to get any worse than that. So having a little bad hamstring injury wasn't really a problem mentally. I got myself fit, I uh, got myself strong and came in and obviously just went to the game. I, I did all right and I uh, lasted the 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. I was fit. So I think I, more than anything, I proved to the manager and the, the club that I was fit. And I had looked after myself over the summer, which which I think they liked. And uh, I've been trained as well as possible ever since. And uh, obviously, I'm adapting to a new style of play. It's completely different to what I'm used to, but it's something which I was brought up playing at Sunland, again, which set us up in good stead. Um, and then you learn a different style of play at Queen of the South, which you can bring to this team when games aren't so nice against your Mortons, your Arbroaths and everything. Um, so, yeah, I'm fortunate enough to be here now and I'm very grateful and uh, hopefully can kick on and uh, the club can have a great season Great stuff um, Just a few interview style questions Dan as if I was a proper uh, reporter or broadcaster uh, <laughs> what's, your, what's your most memorable moment in football so far? Uh, I'd definitely say playing for England was obviously was obviously a privilege captain and son and youth team again is a is a good a good thing Um oh, Probably going to Wembley. I know I wasn't involved. I was good. I wasn't on the bench, but just being part of that. I, I think I was on the bench for one of the semi-final games in the playoffs, and just the atmosphere and being part of that group at Rutherford was—it's crazy. And you see what it means to some players um, to obviously get get the chance to nearly be promoted to the championship. Um, but yeah, I scored my first professional goal, which I'd like to have a few more. I'm not going to lie to you there, but um, <laughs> you create great thing but yeah there's loads but I mean obviously as a footballer I'm in a fortunate enough position where I get to do what I love so every day is great and obviously signing for a, a club as big as Dunfermline is obviously a, a great privilege as well Great stuff uh, Aside from uh, Ian Wilson who is the best player you've ever played with? At the time I'd say Patrick Roberts I think at the time Barcelona and everyone one of them when he was 16, 17 I mean he got bought for 12 and a half million when he was 18. So I think that says a lot. Um, but if you're going off who's really went on and kicked on the most, you'd probably say Rashford. Tamori, you'd say off price tag more than anything. Um, yeah. Tammy Abraham, you Joe Gomez. So yeah, there's been some good players. But if you're going off sheer talent and ability, Parrot Roberts was honestly at 16, 17 was, was frightening. Um and he's just been unfortunate with injuries as well, hasn't he? Because I think when he was at Celtic, I think he was unbelievable as well, wasn't he? Yeah, I mean, I, I watched less Premier League than I used to, but I, I, when he was at Celtic, what I saw of him, he looked like he was the uh, best player on the team there. Yeah, 
so it's obviously it's crazy where his career's gone, but I'm sure I'm sure a few good years and he'll be uh he'll be back back playing where he should be. Well, does he now? Um he's still got a year left at Man City from what right, I believe. Okay. But he was on loan at Derby last season. But again, I don't think he, he was at Middlesbrough, didn't play and then Derby. So I mean it's it's Middlesbrough I had in my head that it was last I saw him, but I knew I knew he was obviously going back to City and he'd gone on loan. But I it's too too good a talent not to not to play somewhere. Again, style of football might not suit him in the championship, and uh, you never know. It wouldn't surprise us if he ended up back up at Celtic, to be honest with you. Uh, Come and stay with you, Dan. <laughs> Mind you, last time we did this, uh, Owen was uh, promising us Gareth Bale, and that's still not come to fruition. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't promise you Gareth Bale. Um, he, he's best mates with him. Ah, he's told me he's a uh, good mate with him. Leave it when I get a signed bail shirt, I'll uh, I'll believe it. <laughs> well, I'm 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 one. I don't know if you're a golfer, Dan, but I want an invite down to his golf course in his back garden. That's still not come yet. Oh, is it not? Listen, I'll be on to him tomorrow for you, right? Aye, just just say the boys from the pod were asking after him. Uh, <laughs> we really enjoyed speaking to, to step up and follow through on some of the promises. <laughs> Aye, I'll uh, I'll get on to him for you, no problem. <laughs> Who's the best player you've played against, Dan? Um, best player Brahim Diaz he's called yes uh, and City's on loan at AC Milan last season yeah my god what a player um, I think they're going to end up buying him he's a Spanish under 21 international mm-hmm. but no Real Madrid bought him off Man City if, I, if I'm right played right. um, for Real Madrid a good few times um, people might not have heard of him because obviously he's foreign but I'd imagine the world will hear of him in a few years, few years. he was amazing Jaden Sancho he's unbelievable um, Rashford again. Um, it's a funny one. Rashford wasn't wasn't brilliant at seventeen, eighteen, and then suddenly he got to nineteen, twenty, and he just went like full, like scary. But yeah, obviously, there's been some great players, but probably Brahim Diaz. He was unbelievable. Where did you play against him? When he was at Man City, when I was youth team player at Sunderland. Right. Okay. He'd literally just signed. I think the bottom for about two and a half million off. Malaga rings a bell, but I might be wrong. Okay. They had him and a lad called Paolo on the wing, who again, they just bought him off Barcelona for 1.6 million. I mean, he came off the bench for his first 45 minutes and he put two in the top corner with his first two touches. <laughs> You're saying, Jesus Christ, what am I playing against here? I mean, you're only 17, 18, and you've got lads getting bought for that. Once again, if you turn up with a mate called Paolo to fives, you expect that he's going to be a player, <laughs> don't you? <laughs> uh, but what's your ultimate ambition in football? Obviously, I think any player wants to play at the highest level possible. Um, I'm obviously still young. I'm only 23. Um, so I see this as a great opportunity. And first and foremost, I want to help the club get back to the Premier League because you don't realise until you play against Dunfermline, but it's such a big club. I mean, the first year, obviously, the fans win. And you get, like I say, four, five, six thousand 6,000 fans. And you see the pictures on the wall of when they were in the Premiership and the stadium's full. And um, first and foremost, I want to get the club back to the to the top level, and obviously wherever I go, that'd be a bonus. But I just want to play at the highest level possible, wherever that may be. And uh, most of all, just stay in the game for as long as possible and enjoy my football. Yeah, stuff. And maybe sort of move phases is something we don't know about Dan Pybus, but do you always see yourself in football? Have you any other kind of burning desires in life? Are there any other interests that you would pursue after your career's over? Uh. I'd like to get my coaching badges. 
I mean, I've got a good family behind us who encourage me to to look at things outside of football because obviously you never know what can happen. Mm. Um, so, I mean, the last few years, I'm wanting to do courses. I mean, I've done an IT course just in my own time. Uh, I mean, I hated every second of it, but I still got it done. <laughs> this. Um, yeah, I'm going to look to do another course. I'm busy just contacted the PFA the other day, so I'm going to look to do a course in my spare time because obviously you get plenty of time off as a footballer at home and... Uh, when I was younger, I probably would have said, yeah, good one. I'm not doing a course in my spare time. But as you get older, you're a bit like, I need to do something. I need to I need to just go study, go learn, go go better yourself instead of just sitting around doing nothing. So, yeah, it's something which I'm interested in. And uh, I think it'll only benefit me on the pitch because it makes you appreciate football more when, you, when you're studying something away from, away from it. Mm, Definitely. And uh, last one, I'm going to throw something over. How do I put this? I'm going to throw something at the both of you that you'll be all prepared for, and it's probably going to be complete dead air time, but I'll, I'll talk, and then you can see what you come up with. We normally do an internet interject, so it's when you look through the Pars forums and come up with a, a nugget of a thread that is of interest. So uh, the one I had from last week is someone put up, what rule would you change in football? Now, Michael, you know what I'm probably going to say here, don't you? I Are you doing this over the offside rule? Aye, aye. And a, a D-shape? <laughs> I tell this to everyone. This has probably appeared in the pod before, so it probably shouldn't appear again. But I told Stevie Crawford that I remember, and he kind of looked at me aghast. Although he did take the point, but he thought it was uncoachable. Dan, this may this may change your life or rock your world. Who knows? But uh, here is what I would change. I know, I know, and I know this is unworkable. But I just kept on doubling down because it was annoying people on the internet when I kept on at it. Yeah. See if you take. Say you're taking a short corner, right? Yeah. Craig White and peels off. So you play a short corner to him. He's not thinking. He plays the ball straight back to you. You're then flagged offside. It's nothing worse, is there? Right. This is what's wrong with football here, right? There is, could be 11 opposition players closer to the goal than you. But because you're near the goal line, you're flagged offside where there's no advantage. So, so what I'm saying is that the rule I would change is the offside rule should be if you're closer to the goal rather than the goal line when the ball is played. So yeah. i.e. if you ping the ball out to a winger, who's a yard in front of a centre defender, that's no offside because he's got far more yardage to go to the goal than the guy standing in the middle. Listen, my brain is baffled by that. Um, <laughs> I think it'll be confusing for a ref. Um, but I know what you mean if the ball gets pinged out wide and he's 50 yards from the goal and the centre-half's 30 yards because he's in a straight line there. You can say, why is he offside? But Smart not- lad. You don't need to say anything else. So Dan agrees with me. <laughs> I never did that, but we'll go with that. Well, the way around it, I was saying, you either do one of two things. You've got to experiment with this. You either ditch offside and see how it goes, or you ditch the linesman, assistant referee, calling offside, and if it results in a corner kick or a free kick or a goal or a penalty or something like that, you check VAR. And all you do, if they, if they can... You know, they have pretty shoddy looking straight lines across the pitch. You just have curved lines across the pitch. <laughs> Simple as that. Now, someone did point out the beauty of football is meant to be if you've got 11 kids playing in the park, it's the same rules as, uh, you know, elite football. But of course, elite football doesn't work like that because I've played football where you have an aging referee that doesn't move from the centre circle. He calls off sides and you've got a couple of dads on the sideline who flag of the ball without a play. <laughs> So I've yet to see that happen in a Champions League game. So that that, that argument is redundant as far as I'm concerned. So <laughs> but my, my problem is that having an offside rule 
with a reference point to the goal line, which isn't particularly important, whereas the goal that's important doesn't make any sense. What say I, you, Michael? I, well, I, I was going to say, I think uh, my change to the rules of football would be that rank amateurs aren't allowed to just make up new rules like that. Rank amateurs probably shouldn't be able to host podcasts either, but we've just not been taken off yet. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I, 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 see, I see you're thinking with that one, Steve, but um, I, I think I prefer offside as it is. The, the rule I would change is simply to not have VAR, just get rid of VAR completely. Don't you like, like offside as it is because it's always been that way, Michael, and that's yeah. what you've grown up with. And that you exactly. hate and, I, and I like football and I want it to be the way it is, the way it was in the 80s. If we had your way, we would <laughs> still have back four on a line, putting their arm up, someone's coming back from an offside position, doing nothing to affect play, still gets called offside. 1-0 yep. to the Arsenal. They'll <laughs> be able to waste time by just passing the ball back to the keeper and they could pick it up. See, Dan wasn't even born when that was able to happen. Wasn't born at all. I just know the rules now. <laughs> used, to be able, used to be able to pass the ball back to a goalkeeper and he used to be able to pick it up, Dan. Ridiculous stuff. <laughs> there used to not be a Premier League in England. It's just Division 1. But anyway. It used to not be football at all. It was it was just, you know, a battle in the streets of Sheffield. On, on the flip side, there used to be no podcasts, so yeah, uh, wasn't all <laughs> bad. So the pass was good. Anyway, either two of you got any uh, words of wisdom when it comes to uh, rules you'd like to change? Well, you said no VAR, Michael. Uh, yeah, but in terms of actually changing the rules, I mean, I, I really just do like football the way it, well, the way it was and, and still to an extent the way it is. Um, I, w- I wouldn't go back to the passback rule, but I think I'd put everything back to just after the passback rule was changed. Okay. Not change anything ever again. I don't mind the rules now either. I don't know what I'd really change, but I mean, you look at the one the other night when the lads took an absolute shocker of a touch and bounced up and hit his hand. You say like, mm. "How's that not a penalty?" I mean, it's going straight. It's going straight to our player. He took a terrible touch and he flicked it with his hand, and because it's hit his body part, uh, a body part before it hit his hand, it's not a penalty. I just think that's terrible. The handball rule is a mess just now. Wait, absolute wait, wait, mess. Whereas if it's Craig Whiten does that and knocks the ball in the top corner afterwards, he gets uh, he gets holed up for handball. I mean, it was a it was a strange one because he didn't just didn't just touch his hand; he tapped it. I, yeah. I was shouting at the screen. I know that's no use when you're not even in the in the ground, but yeah, I was uh, I was shouting for handball as well. But just doesn't make sense, does it? it, it because it hit his foot, it's not a penalty. I mean, if the lad had took a decent touch, then it wouldn't even have been in that situation. So right. yeah. Uh, I don't know, I don't know how you solve the handball rule because there's there's you'll always find circumstances where it, if you follow the rule it doesn't seem fair and like this one. I understand when it hits your hand from two yards away and it gets Aye. absolutely walloped at you, then fair enough. But I mean, the ball's travelled twenty yards there. He's mm-hmm. took a bad touch and then mm-hmm. essentially it's fallen to our player ten yards out who would have uh, stopped the goal scoring opportunity really because he's nudged it with his hand. I mean. Uh, if it's outside the box, he probably gives it. That's that's the thing. And then uh, just because it's in the box and and it's away at their ground, I mean, I'm sure if we had uh, all the Pars fans shouting at me, might have gave it. Um, <laughs> yeah, like you say, it's just not one rule for outside the box and one for in the box. It's either a penalty or it's not a penalty. And that's yeah. a bizarre thing. The, the offside, so the hand, get offside out my head. The handball rule is essentially that. It's uh, it is different for defenders and attackers, which doesn't make any sense to me. But, no. uh, 
I think we should just stick if any defender handles the ball against the pars in the box, it's a penalty regardless. That would suit me. If Big Toddy takes a touch and it bounces up and hits his hand and he says pinning the centre back in the box, the ref's gonna give a free kick to the other team. Same hand. hand. But how is it not the same for the defenders made a mistake and it's in his hand? How's that not a penalty? So that'd probably be my one change. Not that we're suggesting Toddy has a bad touch. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> right, Dan. That's uh, that's an hour and twenty minutes of your time, uh, and that's more importantly me excess or, or got rid of everything on my notes. So uh, <laughs> happy to leave it there, viewer. Yeah, no problem. I really appreciate you obviously having us on, and uh, hopefully you enjoy Saturday and we can go uh, score six goals, like you said. Right. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> we can even leave it in the podcast if we do that. Anyway, thank you for your time, Dan. Thank you for your time, Michael. Thank you, and thanks, Dan. Thanks a lot. No problem. And until next time, Monopars. Monopars. <laughs>